This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. All right, good evening, everybody. Thanks for coming to the first session in this mini medical school entitled Cycling to Health. Uh, we chose to use cycling as the, the lens and the, the tool by which we'll examine many facets of what it means to be healthy. And we'll dive in and out of those various facets on a week-to-week basis and on a lecture-to-lecture basis as well. But overall, the goal is to talk about cycling as a tool to improve wellness, to decrease injury, and to maximize performance and whatever that means to you. My name is Justin Bosley. I'm an emergency medicine physician and sports medicine physician. I work with Kaiser Permanente in Oakland and in Richmond. I trained locally here at Highland Hospital in Oakland and also rotated frequently through this very medical center. I work with several colleagues, including my co-chair for this course, Anna Abramson, who's here this evening. In our more academic bent, we help coordinate a conference entitled Medicine of Cycling. Some of the content from this Uh, These talks uh, is similarly addressed in that larger medical conference setting, however, uh, with less of a public-facing eye. So we hope in this lecture series to make things far more interesting for you, uh, to make things more applicable to you in your everyday life. Um, And we're going to kick off this lecture series this evening with my talk uh, entitled, So You Crashed Your Bike. We're going to keep it, uh, unfortunately, too practical. Hopefully, though, for all of us, this is a rare, rare event. Okay, How rare is rare? Never rare enough, unfortunately, when it comes to something like falling off your bicycle or crashing your bicycle. But there is data for this. In 2012, it was the most recent iteration of this government-performed study on the survey of bicyclist and pedestrian attitudes and behavior. Very, very exciting title. Uh, it's performed every decade, so this is the most recent set of data that we have. And in it, they attempted to analyze the broad public perspective on what it means to be a pedestrian and what it means to be a bicyclist. And they sampled a large number of people, asked them specific questions, and tried to better understand the attitudes that they bring to cycling and that helps them choose to use cycling as a means of transportation and well-being in their life. The report is very mundane. It's best encapsulated, I think, not in the report itself, but by Calvin and Hobbes cartoonist Bill Watterson, who himself is a very active cyclist, and in his Sunday strips, of which you'll recognize are the the, uh, the ones that actually have color, uh, he encapsulates his interest through Calvin's father. Uh, I thought Calvin's father did a nice job of summarizing a lot of the attitudes of what it means to be a cyclist for both wellness, transportation, peace of mind. And unfortunately, uh, in this particular uh, strip, you can see that some of the panels touch on something we'll be discussing today, which is what does it mean to be a a cyclist sharing the road uh, with other vehicles, and also specifically what happens when you you take a crash or take a digger, as sometimes uh, the downhill mountain bikers like to call it. Again, how often does this happen? Not often. Calvin's dad, all the time, pretty much every Sunday. However, how often does this really happen? In the study that I mentioned, about 3% of the respondents, and in this particular sample at the very bottom, you'll see that there were 3,401 people that answered this particular question. In the previous two years, just 3% of those people had experienced an injury while cycling. That doesn't specify if they were injured due to some kind of overuse or performance-induced injury. 
in many cases with cycling, the statistics attest to the fact that single-user crashes uh, are a common source of injury. The, uh, unfortunately, non-single-user crash, this is the technical term that they use when a car and a cyclist uh, come into contact, those are unfortunately far more serious. We won't be speaking about those as much tonight. That's more of something that will be addressed in a different lecture series, different lecturer within this series who's going to be talking about designing uh, cycling infrastructure for public health and what it means to build a livable city, specifically as it relates to us cyclists who like to use the streets on two wheels instead of four. When we used our bikes to get around, we all experienced different paths. This path was cleverly constructed by Christoph, Christopher Neiman. He's an illustrator famous for his New Yorker magazine covers. In the Netflix original series Abstract, he introduces this little sketch just as they were on their way to a different office building within New York City. He drew this on the inside of the car window. But I thought that what this rider experienced is passing cars seemingly navigating the potholes on his commute, passing other cyclists, potentially avoiding cyclists going in the opposite direction, going back past the, the Ford Go Bike station that we now have here in the Bay as well, kind of encapsulates the many things that we're going to talk about and also many of the things that were sampled in the survey. You'll see on this next slide, what did people care about when they were traveling by bicycle as they experienced their physical world? Specifically with respect to motorists, they cared that motorists passed too close to them, that they drove too quickly, that the motorist seemed to almost hit me, the motorist cut me off. Anyone who bikes on city streets can attest to some of these fears and concerns, but uh, we all learn defensive cycling. We learn when to take the lane, um, and hopefully these are things that we can now leave here. We're going to talk now, going forward, about... How do you take care of yourself in the event that gravity wins and your rubber doesn't stay down and you fall to the ground? Hopefully, despite crashing, you'll still find that cycling, as Nelson likes to put it, is worth it. Okay. I'm going to give you a conceptual framework now for how do you take care of yourself in the moments of and following a bike crash. We're going to talk about the moments of a crash. We're going to talk about what do you do minutes to hours later. We're going to talk about how do you approach the days and weeks after and in the months following, what sorts of things might be good to know? Beginning with the moment of a crash. If you're a little bit easily upset in the stomach at seeing things that are a little bit gnarly, again, as the downhill folks on the mountain bikes like to use, um, you might not want to watch the end of this. But this is from last uh, two summers ago, uh, the Rio Olympics. This is a Dutch cyclist named Annemiek van Vluten, who was in the lead of the road race, who had a horrific crash. And it exposed the, unfortunately, underprepared medical infrastructure of the games. The motorcyclist stops. The subsequent cyclist, Mara Abbott, who is an American, who was in second place at the time, approached the same corner. And you can see, as she comes around, there is still no one responding to the cyclist except for one race viewer. It was a pretty tragic thing. She did OK. But it's important in the event that our people aren't around to help you. How can we take care of ourselves? The following are a few simple steps to keep in mind. The first is, if you have your wits about you, and it doesn't all happen, it's a total blur, if you can think for just a fraction of a second, think about not stiffening. Try not to bounce off the ground, but try to relax and try to just let the ground approach you and slide into a soft landing, roll if need be. Okay? Stay relaxed. It will be a shock to your system, but the most important question is, can you get up? Can you stand? If you can do that, the most important next step is get off the road. 
Okay? If you're on a trail, multi-use trail, um, it's a little bit less of a concern, but I'm sure that everyone who's uh, experienced a crash knows the importance of getting up, getting to safety. When you've done that, the next step is to take stock of what hurts. You'll have a massive flood of adrenaline going through your system. Anyone you've spoken to or you've read online an account of someone cycling crash, they'll say they didn't know what happened. They just kind of experienced a bit of a daze. The next thing that they knew, they're at the side of the road. Someone's talking to them. Are you okay? Are you okay? In that moment, you have to kind of honestly start to ask yourself, what's happened? What's, where am I hurt, if anywhere? And then the honest thing to do is to always ask for help, even if you don't think you need it. The young, typically male, aggressive uh, cyclist likes to do it their own way, and often the mistake is not asking for help when you need it. Take the time to have someone help check you out, because again, you might be in a bit of a blur. The single most important question to ask, and to ask others if, if they're not asking it themselves, is did you hit your head? I was participating in a Grand Fondo event this past fall, riding with a former professional cyclist, just he and I on the road with one additional person just a few meters ahead of us, who went to reach for a water bottle. The handoff didn't go as he expected. The bottle didn't land in his hand. He went to reach back for it. His handlebars kicked sideways. He catapulted himself forward. We were lucky not to get wrapped up in the crash. Um, the young man was able to get up, get to the side of the road, and rightfully so, the professional, like former professional cyclist that I was with was insistent, did you hit your head? He says, no, right away, of course. Did you hit your head? I don't think so. Did you hit your head? Take off your helmet, look at your helmet. He took off his helmet, and this is not his helmet, but you can see that there's a crack, all right? So if you come across someone who's fallen off their bicycle, or if you've fallen off your bicycle, even if you don't recall hitting your head, look at your helmet. The helmet is there for a single purpose, to save your noggin. If there's evidence that it struck the ground, that helmet is now no good anymore. You need to replace that helmet. Bicycle helmets are single-use events, different from skiing helmets, different from helmets in other walks of life. One and done. So if you're assisting a cyclist, review yourself, notice that your helmet is damaged in the event of a crash, it's time to replace it. The moments of a crash are the most harrowing, the one we want to forget. Let's move on to minutes to hours later. Get moving if you can. Don't just sit there and stiffen. Don't simply just wait for a ride. If your bike is not rideable, of course, you need to figure out a way, but keep moving if you can. Keep yourself from getting too stiff, too sore. Stay active. One of the sayings I like to use with my patients in the emergency department who are loath to get moving after injuries, motion is lotion and your body is concrete waiting to harden. You've got to move, okay? Your body craves movement even in the wake of an injury. As long as it's not clearly hurting more, you're okay to continue to do it. An important question you must ask yourself is also this. Can you generate force? If you're pedaling your bike and one leg isn't pushing, despite your brain telling it to, or if you find that you're unable to physically balance one hand evenly on each handlebar, something's wrong. That's your body doing what we call inhibition. Your body is on a central nervous system basis instructing your muscles, your body's hardware, to not function. It's literally trying to put it to sleep. The software literally tells the hardware to not run. If that's happening, that's a sign that you do need to get checked out. You do need to get evaluated by a medical professional. As you're continuing to move, know that soreness and pain will evolve. Pay attention to what's happening. 
something else might start to become sore. You might get stiff in an area you didn't expect. Your shoulder might be sore from landing hard there, but your low back could become the thing that gets stiff in the next few hours. Expect these things much as you would expect it if you're in a slow street speed car collision, for instance. An important issue to be aware of, if you have dental trauma of any kind, that's actually a very time-sensitive matter. If you have an injured tooth, if you have a tooth that has come out and you're able to find it, or you know someone else who has, encourage them to get evaluated by a dentist very quickly. These are generally some generally injuries that need to be taken care of in a one-hour period, hopefully no fewer than four to six at the most. And that has to do with the rate of successful reimplantation of an injured tooth. Everyone's favorite thing to kind of compare after the fact is road rash. If you haven't had road rash, you're lucky. You can just do a quick Instagram or Twitter or Google can search for hashtags road rash and you see some impressive results. Typically road rash occurs on the sliding surface that has struck the ground, be it your back, your shoulder, or as is very common in cyclists, the hip. You can see that the clothing will be torn, the skin will be very irritated, and depending on the surface on which the person slid and the surface uh, that was sliding against it, um, a soft piece of your leg or your back or a very bony hard surface like the very bony prominence of the outside of your hip, you'll have differing degrees, different layers have been taken away. Also, the layers will be a little polluted potentially. So we're going to talk about how to take care of this. Step one, rinse loose material away. You can use a water bottle. It doesn't matter if it has like a sports drink in it or if it's just water, but rinse that stuff away pretty much immediately. It will sting. If there's dirt and debris stuck in the wound, you need to scrub it out. You don't have to do this in a masochistic fashion and just take away layers and layers of skin. But you want to get rid of these little pieces of embedded dirt or foreign material for two reasons. One, they present a site for potential infection, what we refer to as a nidus for potential infection. We live in a bacterial world. If you have a small piece of that world in your skin, it presents a chance for a bacterial infection to develop. The second is it can result in what we call tattooing, where that foreign material can result in a scarring reaction that actually results in hyperpigmentation, so you'll actually have a more prominent appearance of your scar. For those two reasons, one medical, one aesthetic, it's generally recommended to get away these loose materials. Let the wound air dry. When I'm taking care of my athletes, especially athletes with road rash, they're often very hasty to wash the wound and then they want to get it dressed right away. You need to let the moisture evaporate. You don't want to trap moisture at the site of the wound. Your body will deliver moisture to that site in a way of helping it heal. You don't need to add extra that will impair the healing process. This is, the, this is a site now with uh, the question of what do I put on the wound, uh, where there's a lot more style points than there is evidence to guide you. Many people will use a, an antibiotic ointment. Some people will use simply a moisturizing ointment, something like Vaseline, a petroleum jelly. Um, how much, it's really up to you, okay? As you'll we'll see in a few slides, some of the professional cycling team physicians that I asked this very question, um, it's, it's, it's much more like how do you like your coffee than uh, what's medically indicated, okay? The final issue is dressing changes. Whenever it's wet, the dressing needs to be changed. Whenever it's dirty, the dressing needs to be changed. And at minimum, change it every day. Generally, you're able to shower, remove the dressing. When it's wet in the shower, it's generally less uncomfortable to do it. Let it air dry. 
reapply whatever moisturizing ointment in whatever amount you like, and then redress the wound. Asking the following, Kevin Spruce, a physician with um, the now newly named Education First Draypack powered by Cannondale professional cycling team. He is a sports medicine physician with a home base in Knoxville, Tennessee. He wrote the following, my treatment of road rash isn't sexy. Mostly I treat it like a mild burn. Soap and water at the end of the day's stage, usually having the rider scrub it in the shower before I do anything. We'll then do a thick layer of Neosporin and non-stick dressing, Telfa or similar, it's the brand name that he uses in that case. And cover it with OmniFix or another kind of flexible tape. Rarely I'll use a silver impregnated gauze or something fancy like that, but generally it's very basic wound care. Dressing changes Q12 to 24 hours, and that's medical shorthand for meaning every 12 to 24 hours. So as you can see, it's very straightforward. Here's someone who's taking care of road rash on a near daily basis with professional cyclists, and it's very simple. One of his colleagues working with a different cycling team, Prentice Stefan, comments specifically on this issue of different styles of care. He's not speaking about Kevin, uh, the previous person, but another one of his colleagues who also works with a, a, a team that they both uh, are responsible for, comments that his colleague is, he's big on zero form while I'm not. This is a, a Vaseline or a petroleum gel impregnated dressing that he puts on the wound to keep it moist. Um, I also go really light on the antibiotic ointment. That's ABX, again, medical shorthand for antibiotic, versus, quote, slather application amount. So even within the same team, they don't have a unified approach to this issue. If you have road rash and you need to dress it, this is a picture of a kind of flexible medical tape that you can use to help hold the dressings down as you bend your arm, bend your knee, bend your hip, bend your shoulder. These are the kinds of things that can make it stay in place for you successfully for, through that 12 to 24 hour dressing change period. This is what they have in their bags in the car as they're taking care of athletes mid-race. Similarly, in the bags in the car, they carry something called spandage, which is a cylindrical stocking dressing, and they have to label it for the site of the body so that the appropriate circumference and diameter of the tubing is available quickly at hand. This is an example of applying it to a forearm to help hold gauze in place in an otherwise unusual spot where you'd have to use just a ton of tape. Similarly, they separate the leg bandages in their bag. They also have this Telfa pad, a non-stick dressing. We've all experienced the pain of pulling off a Band-Aid, whether you're a pull-it-off slowly person or rip-it-off quick person. <laughs> These are the kind of pads that obviate that issue. They don't stick to the wound, but they do protect it, and they do keep it clean. These are the sorts of things that you might make a run to Walgreens or CVS or some other local pharmacy for if you need to get these in the event of a crash. Getting yourself checked out. If you need x-rays, the most common sites for x-rays for a cyclist are as follows. The wrist, you can see in this image, there's a small abnormal line. This is the most common site of a wrist fracture. It's called the scaphoid bone, one of our many small wrist bones. This one is not always evident on x-rays. This one is a little bit more obvious to the trained eye. They can also appear a little bit more susceptible, I'm sorry, not susceptible, but suspicious, but not obvious, as is the case here. If you have a sore wrist after a crash, someone's going to put a splint on you, and they're going to want to re-x-ray you probably in a week and a half to two weeks to look for evidence of bone healing. The hips and the pelvis is another commonly x-rayed site. In this particular patient, you can see with experience, unfortunately, only, that there's an asymmetry between the right hip here and the left hip here. 
I'll tell you that the left hip is normal, but the right hip has a little bit of an abnormal protrusion here. The curves are different. This is a 25-year-old mountain biker who was going downhill at approximately 20 miles an hour, landed hard on his right hip, and subsequently couldn't walk. In some cases, the x-rays even frankly appear normal. However, if there is a question of a fracture, and the x-rays are negative, we always wonder, is there no fracture indeed? Or is there something that we call an occult fracture, meaning hidden on x-ray, not obviously evident there? In that moment, your options are as follows. You can watch and wait and see how the injury, quote, declares itself going forward. If it improves, it's likely not a fracture. If it's failing to improve, however, that's when you need to have consideration for what we call advanced imaging or specialty imaging, which would be a CT scan, which uses ionizing radiation to visualize bones, or an MRI, which looks at soft tissues and can look for swelling within bones, but isn't necessarily the best at identifying all kinds of fractures. But those are the common modalities that we end up using. Moving from minutes to hours to days to weeks after the crash, this is the point at which you actually really set yourself up for success to get back on the bike and to move well. You'll be taking care of road rash still. You'll be healing from that. You're going to also need to engage in some injury-specific recovery. If your shoulder is what's hurt, if your hip is what's hurt, if it's your back that got hurt, you'll need to address those things specifically, typically with the help of a trained healthcare professional, a physical therapist, a chiropractor, whoever you work with well, and have a good relationship with, that's the most important element there. You want to stay active. As we talked about earlier, motion is lotion, and your body is concrete waiting to harden. You need to keep moving. Otherwise, you'll set yourself up to have deconditioning in addition to rehabilitation. And one common issue, and we all tend to cope with this in silence while injured, is it's hard to be injured. You need to keep your spirits up. So see your friends, see your family, see your loved ones. Be active in other ways if you can. Do other things that help keep your spirits up. Taking care of road rash throughout this long chronicle is something that is often the stuff of professional athlete websites because it makes for great what we call clickbait. They want to see that, show you their battle scars. This is an off-road triathlete, Conrad Stoltz, who had a bad crash, and he uh, characterizes his road rash in a series on his website called Scabology. Other triathletes similarly post pictures of themselves doing what they can to train while injured. Here's a famous Ironman triathlete, Chrissy Wellington, who has a wrist fracture of some kind and yet is putting in time on her indoor trainer to try and keep fit. The takeaway message from both of these athletes that we can try and apply in our own lives to any small degree, whether it's walking uphill trying to get to work, like coming here at Parnassus, do what you can reasonably still do. Okay. We've touched on some rather mundane stuff. For a moment now, though, we're going to do what John Cleese says, and something completely different is going to follow. This is going to be a strange picture. It's not gross. It's just strange. This is a gentleman who I took care of in clinic. It's his left thigh. He gave me permission to use this picture. His left thigh very high towards the side of his hip. He has a very abnormal contour to his thigh. This is about two weeks after an injury he sustained. You can see the bruise has evolved. Original bruising is now clearing up and turning into a yellowish-green color, as is often the case. Darker purple is uh, something that's going to follow that path shortly. This contour in his hip... This is abnormal. He came in, he said he felt like he had a jellyfish on his thigh, a big squishy ball. It didn't really hurt him, but he Googled 
and he couldn't figure out what it was, and he was starting to get scared. So he came to clinic to be seen. This is an unusual thing called a morel lavalie lesion. These are uh, common uh, in people that have sustained cycling crashes, motorcycle crashes, any sort of what I would call a shearing injury. Let me show you what that means. This is an example of the layers of tissue of the skin, the deeper tissues called subcutaneous fat, the fascial layers, which help separate different layers within the body. Think of it like saran wrap, keeping leftovers separate in the fridge. You have, beneath all of that, a layer of muscle. When you have a force that grabs your skin as you're sliding, it'll drag that top layer with it, but the underlying layers might not move. So the muscle would not move. As a result, there's a tearing at one of the deeper fascial layers, and you can develop bleeding and fluid collection in that space. This is a cartoon characterization of it. This is what it looks like on ultrasound. So in the clinic, we can apply ultrasound, and you can see that deep fluid collection layer present right there. The muscle is deep to it. His muscle was unaffected. The fluid itself is not infection. It's essentially a sterile fluid collection, much as you would find within a blister. These can persist for a terrifically long period of time. Months is typical. Occasionally, people will try to drain them using an ultrasound to guide a needle into that space. The challenge with doing that is that it often just reaccumulates. Those layers have been sheared apart, and they need time to re-adhere to one another. Some people will attempt to use various concoctions of medicines to try and sclerose those layers back together. Even things like doxycycline, which is an antibiotic, they'll use dextrose-containing water to try and irritate the tissues very gently, but to the point that they would then stick back together, trying to create like a chemical Velcro. None of them work particularly well, but in very persistent problems, they're worth trying. If you notice a jellyfish on your leg, I don't expect you to remember how to spell morel levely. Google autocorrects it for me every time, but just know that it's not dangerous nor scary, and it will go away eventually. In the months following your crash now, what do you do? You need to recognize the necessity of rehabilitation. It's very challenging to recover from a crash just because it hurts, and sometimes just coping with the pain and the discomfort of it is the best you can do. But at some point, as that pain starts to ebb, you need to re-engage with strengthening. You need to re-engage with pursuing symmetry as best you can within your body. Don't allow an injured hip or leg or lower back to cascade into the future with an abnormal movement pattern that will set you up for unusual overuse injuries down the road. You need to prepare for the reality of returning to the road. What does it mean if you had a traumatic sort of bicycle collision, whether it was with a car or another cyclist or something unexpected, um, a deer in the Marin headlands? Um, you need to prepare yourself to kind of have jitters and some emotions when you get back on the road. But hopefully... If we do all of these things, we've taken care of ourselves, we've been thoughtful, we've kept our spirits up, you can get back on the road and you can literally get ready to bounce back. Okay. Okay. Thank you, everybody. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.